Have you ever stopped to think about yourself and your story? If someone were to write your memoir, what would it say? We all seek some level of authenticity, but have trouble removing the labels and finding our whole story. Welcome to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. In this program, we'll explore diverse stories on identity to help determine what is truly yours. Now, here is your host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to the show, everyone. Wow, so excited today to extend our thanks to Joe Ivester, who wrote with her family the memoir, Once a Girl, Always a Boy, just published by She Writes Press. Joe, thank you for dropping in. Thank you very much for having me. Let me give a little intro to everyone who might not know you. Um, they may know you because you've written another book. Uh, Joe Ivester is an author and speaker focusing on LGBTQ and civil rights advocacy. Her books include the award-winning memoir, The Outskirts of Hope, um, published in 2015, also by She Writes Press, and the family memoir, Once a Girl, Always a Boy, published April 2020. She addresses a wide range of audiences, from small book clubs to entire schools, using her personal stories as a means to make people more comfortable with those who are different from them with regard to race, religion, sexual orientation, and gender identification. Um, I think this is so important, Joe, this mission, um, and I call this book, in my own mind's eye, The Space Between, um, the tolerance for ambiguity in a society that always wants oversimplified answers. I just congratulate you and your family for um, working with Jeremy in the space between, um, and I think that um, it does take a family. There are memoirs of struggle with gender identity, but this one fully integrates the family and all members of the family contributed to it, particularly Jeremy, Joe, and her husband, John, um, very much in your own words. I'm going to um, give a brief about the book so that people um, have a little background. Once a girl, always a boy, Joe Ivester tells the story of her transgender son, Jeremy, through alternating perspectives of the Ivester family, including chapters from Jeremy that are based on the video journals he kept throughout his transition journey. From a young age, Joe and her husband noticed that Jeremy was partial to clothing and activities that society viewed as masculine. He called himself a tomboy. But as his preteen and teen years came to pass, he understood that labels didn't fit him at all. In his early 20s, Jeremy began his transition, adopting his new name and eventually undergoing top surgery. Once a girl, always a boy is, quote, a multifaceted, rich and moving exploration of the trans experience. This from Kirkus Reviews, Starred Review. I just want to also um, include Jeremy here, Jeremy and his bio, um, because I feel his presence very much in the book and because um, he has now um, become the keynote speaker at the Texas Transgender Non-Discrimination Summit and the Austin Anti-Defamation League's Teen Summit. He addresses students and community groups about what it's like to grow up trans in Texas and Colorado. 
He attended classes at the University of Colorado as a math major and provides daycare for his nieces and nephews and works as a barista. When not taking care of babies or creating coffee drinks, he spends his time drawing, writing songs, and snowboarding. All wonderful creative um, projects. So, congratulations, Joe, that you've enabled Jeremy to find his way and to become himself. Thank you very much. Um, I think uh, my husband and I were able to create the the environment, the setting, the support so that he could do that. But Jeremy, it's just been incredible to watch him as he has figured everything out because we did not have the the vocabulary, the language, the understanding to know what was going on. It all came from him, and we followed its lead. So he's a, a remarkable young man. I'm very proud of him. You should be. He's quite a pioneer. And I think the fact that you didn't have the language, the words, the ready explanations makes this book all the more human. The um, passage of time, um, my, my personal appreciation of the book is about the continuum and the sort of um, the, yeah, the space between and this kind of um, natural processing, the back and forth that you went through, I think you can feel it in Jeremy's mind. There's a lot of wonderful dialogue of Jeremy, even with himself, um, that he includes and faithfully from the video um, videos that he made. Um, I think that this, uh, it, it reads like a diary almost. It's a very personal, authentic account. And I think the fact that there weren't the ready labels and the overnight transition, it makes it that much more uh, relatable, understandable, and even more helpful um, as a guide, uh, I would say, to, to people who uh, may be experiencing some of these questions themselves or within their family. Um, I want to just dive right in and and first also um, give myself a little, uh, I too, Joe, have not always had the awareness that you've brought and Jeremy through telling his story has brought. Um, so I'm, you know, going to attempt to be accurate and please feel free to jump in and um, and correct me where I, I need to have a refined, under, more refined understanding. Jeremy, um, but to get right to the heart of it, Jeremy at age 22 um, is talking with his brother, Ben, his older brother, Ben. And um, there's, his, so there's now three brothers, Jeremy, Ben, and Sammy. Um, and Sammy's classmate, Mark, um, has declared himself a girl. So Jeremy is age 22. Here's the dialogue from the book. Jeremy says, if Mark says he's a man, then he's a man. I, Jeremy, tried again. His chromosomes don't define his gender, just his biology. That's what I'm saying, Ben said. Biologically, she's a girl. Right, Sammy added. If you don't have a dick... You're not a guy. And then Jeremy has to go back and say, when he kept talking biology instead of gender, I felt as if he dismissed me, like I didn't know what I was talking about. That hurt because what we were talking about was me. 
And I think there, there's so many layers, right? The biological, the chromosomal, the identification and where it comes from. Um, That must have taken some getting used to for you as well. It did. And one of the things that got in my way is I thought I understood when I didn't. So for my, my own background in childhood, I was a tomboy, very much so. And some people would have said I was an extreme tomboy and friends of my parents asked if they were worried about me, though they didn't really define what that meant. Um, but I, like Jeremy, pre- preferred the toys and games that our society thinks of as masculine. I would prefer my hair short. I would prefer my brother's hand-me-down clothes to wearing a dress. Um, but I never said I'm a boy. I never felt as if I were a boy, and that was a very, very major distinction. But because mm-hmm. I'd had that childhood experience, I thought I knew what Jeremy was going through when I didn't. And in some ways, that actually put up a barrier sure. to our to, to our understanding and communication, and we had to get we had to get past that. Right, it's that well-intentioned empathy. Right, I know how you feel when we don't, we can't, um, and I think exactly. that, that yeah, and I think that that layering really what you just said, um, it really is so helpful and revealing because it's it's really all of these nuances that make me understand for once that every one of these journeys is unique. And it really comes through in this book where, you know, I really needed to appreciate the questioning phase, um, which was extended right in Jeremy's life. Um, yeah. You know, tell us about the span of time and and the questioning. So I would say going back to preschool to only three or four years old, we could already see in Jeremy the what I would call boyish behavior, um, to, to use our, our societal stereotypical terminology. Um, we didn't know that he liked it if he was mistaken for a boy, and I use the word mistaken and for a boy cautiously, because I'm trying to avoid the labels, but for purposes of communication, I'm adopting some of societal's um, way of speaking. Uh, Going back to that time, um, there's a a, uh, short passage in the book where I describe how, for a variety of reasons, I ended up giving him a very, very short haircut. And for preschoolers, their interpretation of, of gender is based on hair. And if they see a kid with long hair, they assume it's a girl until they learn otherwise. And with short hair, they assume it's a boy. So here's this little kid who they've met with longish hair and by the name Emily. And they, they say, this is a little girl. And then Jeremy shows up with short hair. And all day at school, his little four-year-old friends were saying, wait, are you a girl or a boy? It was important to them to understand. And when Jeremy told me about this, I asked him what he said, and he told me he didn't answer. Because mm-hmm. he, he was enjoying being properly gendered as a boy. Mm-hmm. And it was a, that was really the, the beginning of our starting to understand that Jeremy saw things differently and felt things and experienced things differently from the way that my husband and I did. 
through his early childhood, it was actually really easy because we were very accepting of him presenting himself and expressing gender however he wanted. We didn't find it difficult to say, yeah, you can wear whatever clothes you want to wear, wear your hair however you want to wear it. Um, if you want to go by N instead of Emily, we're, we're fine with that. Um, we just wanted him to be comfortable. And at family gatherings, we would have a dress for him, and he would put the dresses on and clearly not be comfortable in them. But he didn't make an issue out of it. He didn't throw a tantrum or, st- or say, no, I shouldn't be wearing a dress or I want to wear a suit like my big brother. Um, that just wasn't part of our experience. And I know it has been for other families with trans children. And, and I think it's real important to realize that every trans individual's journey is different and that we are talking about uh, individuals. Where things really got tougher was when Jeremy hit puberty. And his body started to do things that he didn't want. And that as a child, he hadn't really thought about the fact that society viewed him as a girl meant that also he was going to grow into physically a woman. Mm-hmm. When I say physically, meaning these the sexual characteristics of um, not having his voice get lower and developing a chest. And then when that started to happen, it was devastating for him. Yeah, that must but have been painful. But we didn't know it, and he never complained. Right. Well, there's a really lovely aspect of Jeremy's personality where not because you were being oppressive, but just because of the kind of person that he is, um, he, he, and also the uncertainty that he was feeling, um, you know, he wanted to please. I mean, he writes the song, you know, I'm fine, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I'm always fine. And, um, you know, who cannot relate to that? It's, it's something that we say when we are afraid, we don't really know how to express our truth yet. And it's very difficult. And I think, you know, you were not making it harder, but it's just hard. It just is hard. Um, And it's confusing. Um, So I think I wondered if you felt that once Jeremy became inquisitive, that the Internet helped him see some other trans journeys um, I have to think that that's very reassuring somehow, but that kids that went through this in another generation could, couldn't see um, any outcome, couldn't see... They, they had no where, role models. No role models, right. Now, where, where will this go? I also wondered in your description just now, um, I remember the botched haircut and then you, you fixed it and, and that pixie was quite short and, and Jeremy went to school... Um, and, and, and then, you know, seized on that, you know, emotionally connected and resonated with this opportunity to be mistaken as a boy. Um, I wonder if it's different now, given the, ex- the sort of, I don't want to say acceptance because that sounds conscious, but I mean, kids, they don't really differentiate unless it's been imposed on them. Um, it, it, do you think it's easier do you think there's more tolerance at the at the school at the grade school level or younger level now, or was it very dramatically black and white and it remains that way binary? I think 
I, I think it varies tremendously from school to school, depending on how supportive the teachers and administrators are, because kids do take their lead from the adults around them. So if, a, if an elementary school teacher, for example, um, routinely says, okay, all the boys line up here, all the girls line up here as they head out to the playscape for recess, mm-hmm. then that's a very different underlying message than a teacher that says, everybody line up. Mm-hmm. And we are trying, when I say we, the various um, advocacy groups like the Human Rights Campaign or the um, Equality Texas or, or GLSEN, um, TAMPS, the uh, Texas Education, Trans-Education um, Education Network of Texas, um, trying to, to let schools know that they can change their vocabulary and the way they conduct the classroom to avoid making gender a big deal. And in some classrooms, it's just the kids get to just be themselves, and in other classrooms, they are not allowed to be themselves. And and Mm -hmm. you see the whole running the gamut, and then by the time you get to um, a little bit older, there's the question of this, the school having a policy where kids can use the restroom that they feel most comfortable in. Right. And you get to high school and you have the sports teams that are broken up by um, designated female and male. And you have some systems that, some school systems that have been at the forefront of acceptance, like Broward County in Florida or the Los Angeles Unified School District. For 10 years, they basically said, we're not going to discriminate based on gender identification. If a student athlete says, I'm a girl, then they use the girls' locker room, they play on the girls' sports teams, they use the the girls' bathrooms, and they, as far as the school is concerned, that's a girl. And they haven't had any problems. And that's the largest or one of the largest school districts in the country. Right. That feels like a huge triumph. Like I sort of got my, I sort of got goosebumps. Like that just feels huge. And um, I, I think also you you alighted on sports. Sports was kind of a salvation, I think, in some ways for Jeremy, although there was this awkwardness of identifying binary sense um, teams. And then Jeremy won the best all-around female athlete award, which, for which he was terribly proud. But by that time, he was already not able to play with the guys, the, the, the guy kids on the football team that he played with. And there's so much sadness that starts to encroach on um, him and, and just you know, the sense of it's, it, it did change with puberty. It, you know, it, it became, that's when the sort of divergence started to happen. I also have to think what you're saying is absolutely true, Joe, about the schools um, and it, you go into this in quite a bit about um, in your book, Once a Girl, Always a Boy, that it also depends quite a bit on location. The culture of Colorado was very different for Jeremy than, let's say, Dallas or, um, you know, now Austin. I mean, I think those those are still very persistent divisive lines, cultural lines, right? Where there's pockets of tolerance and understanding and then voila, we're out in the 
you know, we're out in the world that we're facing right now where, where there's such high contrast. When I read that passage about the biological differences in chromosomal and how um, a person identifies, that's a conversation that could happen among adults um, in this country in certain places for the lack of awareness. Um, and Absolutely. I've read, yeah, I, it's so distressing. But, um, and I don't want to put you completely on the spot because I'm going to ask you a big question. But I've read that for every, like, for example, Angela Markle or Justin Ardem or the, you know, the, the really sound thinking, um, rational, sort of scientifically based uh, leaders, there are obviously right wing neoconservatives. And as we've seen in our own country, um, as you saw in advocating for the bathroom law that was then rescinded and granted. And I mean, please, can we just get to this place where, you know, this is allowed? And I guess my, my big question to you, because I think it's just the hardest one to fathom right now in, in the outer world anyway, is where are things swinging in this in you know, where would you say we are on our own continuum here? Are we moving toward or away from tolerance? I think we're not to be dodging the question, but I think we're doing both at the same time. Mm-hmm. That I think that that under the former um, administration, under the Obama administration, our laws and our our. Um, uh, guidance to schools was all absolutely moving to a more accepting uh, setting. When when the attorney general says, "I see you," to all of the transgender individuals yeah. in the country, uh, that was huge, and that was that was really the start of legal acceptance and protection. Um, Right now, at the national level, we've swung the other way. We now have a, a case before the the Supreme Court, and we don't know how they're, how they're going to rule um, with with uh, Amy Stevens, who just um, passed away, but an employee that had worked for a, an organization for years, and uh, Amy um, was a transgender woman, and when she said, I'm going to live my true self, I'm going to show up at work and, and be called Amy and she and wear a dress. If I feel like wearing a dress, she was fired. That case yeah. has made it all the way to the Supreme Court. They've had, um, um, we're, sometime this June, we'll get, we'll get answers from the Supreme Court. And I'm yeah. not at all confident because I I at understand. the national level, we've, we've gotten more conservative. It will swing in the other direction again, and this will be a blip. On the right. personal level, uh, I'm going to ask you to hold up. Wait, I'm going to ask you to hold up there. If you can hold your thought, please. We need to stop or hit pause there for a commercial break. I do want to sure. hear your thoughts at a personal level. It's um, this inquiry is is incredibly important. Don't go away. We'll be right back on dropping in with Joy Vester. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion. promotion, Representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. 
Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Joe Ivester, the author, along with her family. Uh, it's a family memoir, really a beautiful thing that everyone's voices chimed in. Uh, the book is called Once a Girl, Always a Boy. It's just out from She Writes Press. It's available wherever books are sold. Um, I would urge you to get your hands on it. Uh, it's an extremely important um, document, documentary almost, of witnessing the questioning of Jeremy as he transgendered. And uh, we've been speaking with Joe about the larger political landscape, but Joe, you were just about to offer us your thoughts in terms of personal reflections on how things are swinging at this point on the continuum of acceptance and tolerance versus the opposite, divisiveness, you know, hatred. Where do you see things at this point? Well, uh, thanks, Diane. Um, and actually, your comments about why people need to read my book actually feeds in to the great segue into my what I wanted to say about um, acceptance on a personal level. Um, so on the political side, we've said that, that we had been moving in a more accepting direction, and then it's been swinging back, and, but I do believe we will start making progress again. On a personal level... I think that when people know someone like Jeremy, or as I've sometimes put it, when they have a Jeremy in their life, it becomes easier to be accepting. As a society, we accepted gay marriage. A majority of the population supported gay marriage as the law of the land when a very high percentage of the population knew a gay couple that wanted to be married or that had been together for years without being married and said, my gosh, of course they should be allowed to get married. And the switch happened fairly quickly, but it didn't happen until we had the awareness. I think once we get to that point and we're maybe 15, 20 years behind acceptance of gay marriage, 
Um, but when we do get to that point, then I think we will get acceptance. And I think that when transgender individuals or people that um, love someone transgender in their family or their close circle write about it and talk about it, that's what's going to build that awareness, which will in turn build the acceptance. Now, I think um, real quickly, I wanted to comment on something that I think is a little bit further behind that we haven't touched on yet, and that is for gender nonconforming individuals or non-binary individuals. Mm -hmm. It was a huge leap in my understanding to realize that the child I thought was a daughter was actually my son. But some parents that I talked to are realizing that the child they thought was their daughter is neither their son or their daughter, but maybe both or something in between, um, Mm -hmm. but that labels don't work at all. And I think that that's going to um, require even greater awareness developing um, to, to gain acceptance because people like to have labels. Right. Unfortunately, the concept of ambiguity is so difficult to hold space for. And holding space is sort of the the essence of this. It's the essence in your story, uh, in your book, Once a Girl, Always a Boy, because you you just have to uh, witness the questioning, the process. And I think because Jeremy was very process-oriented, um, and he talks about having little baby steps. Um, I think that this makes it much more, um, it's just something that makes it much more, as, as we're absorbing it as readers, it's almost like it's unfolding in real time, which is really very powerful in terms of how we experience Jeremy's trans journey. Um, and I think what you're talking about is is much more profound there is the, the, the notion that um, our language has been too limited all along and that this concept of people trying to grow into what is there set before them is just maybe the, the real misconception. Um, and one of the, the, the labels that I think um, might have been harder to adjust to, you tell me, um, in the book is Jeremy um, declaring that he is uh, a romantic. That is that he is not experiencing what I would say is he's not experiencing one-on-one relationships. It seemed to me, um, again, tell me if this is untrue, but it seemed to me that once Jeremy started to transition, he became much more connected to people. His friendships deepened, his relationships deepened. Um, and yet, I think I, I didn't see in the book, and um, it's certainly personal and none of my business anyway, but I, I think that there's a, there's a definition there. There's all of these societal absolutes that get broken down in the book, and one is that we have to be relationship-driven. I, I, think, that's, I think that's true, and I think it's, it's been an evolution for Jeremy. When he didn't understand who he was himself and when he started to understand but was in denial because he didn't want to disappoint anybody and he didn't want to deal with change and it was terrifying and and um, kind of frozen is the word that he used I'm frozen mm-hmm. uh, when he was at that point relationships were were really difficult and the uh, 
his his being able to move forward and saying, I'm Jeremy, I'm a man, I'm he, has, I think you're correct, enabled him to have much deeper friendships and relationships. And frankly, I don't know what the future holds for him. The definitions that we talked about when he was in his late teens and early 20s about asexuality and aromantic were very important at the time. But I don't know what, what the future will be. And uh, I just have to to constantly tell myself, don't worry about labels. They they don't matter. Just Jeremy is who he is, and he will figure things out. And I will trust him. Yeah, I think I think the trust is 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 the is the key ingredient. And I think it actually points up. You know, we really don't know where we're going. Um, it's just that the the predictable path is. You know, that's the one that gets ingrained. Right, we're on different neural pathways now. And it seems to me that, you know, you you mentioned when Jeremy um, elected to have top surgery, that is the removal of his breasts, um, and you went along as support for him, which was just a lovely passage in the book, one of my favorites where you're making the matzo ball soup. and, And I can't think of anything more nourishing and nurturing than to go back to, you know, comfort food, familiar roots. And offer this to him um, as as you know comfort and solace um, during the physical pain. And um, you know, you you questioned. I think you kept it real, Joe, in the book. You questioned yourself when when this surgery was to, to chosen by Jeremy. That you wondered where will this journey end? And it's so interesting because we never know where the journey is going to end, right? We. You know, someone in the family gets married. We don't know if they'll divorce. We don't know. And and I think that, you know, this, it, you live with a greater degree of uncertainty maybe because the paradigm has shifted. And, you know, we're now in, uh, you know, in another world. But I think, you know, you say trust. Um, I think that, that that trusting in your child or trusting into, you know, even an adult who stands up and says I've lived with this far too long I want I want to make a change um, and yeah. I agree with you that having somebody in your family your life your community and actually through this book I hate to be I hate to be proprietary but I feel um, I feel as though I know a bit of Jeremy and that he is now in my sphere of, of persons known persons um, and it's a it's a question I guess I have for you also, Jeremy. His photograph is on the front cover. He's quite good looking, and there's another photograph of him, completely awesome looking, in the back of the book by his bio, and one where he's um, holding holding his niece. Um, what's it like? And you know, we we could have asked Jeremy this, and and I don't know if you feel comfortable speaking. For him, you're comfortable um, in public speaking and advocacy. What's it been like for him, do you think, to also transition from a very private person to a more public person? Is that a comfortable role, do you think? I think that that Jeremy is a very private person. Um, He's an introvert, but he sees the value of what we're doing, and he gave me permission before I ever started working on the book 
to go ahead and write the book. And he knew, he trusted me when we talk about trust. He trusted me when I said, if at any point you say you want me to stop the whole project, I would do so. And that he got to approve every word. And the sections that were in his voice, where I, where I started, uh, used as a starting point his videos, but then went beyond that and there was editing and, and uh, combining, he got back all of that material and was able to make changes and say, no, I wouldn't have said it that way, I would have said it this way. And everyone in the family, when I, when I interviewed them and then wrote their voices, everybody had the opportunity uh, to do that. And it really, I think, made the, the result much, much stronger. Mm-hmm. But um, the public speaking aspect of it, he's very naturally good at it. He gets mm-hmm. up in front of an audience and people want to like him. And he's very relaxed, and it's worked. And when it works, the interaction with the audience, the energy exchange, is it's a fantastic feeling. I mean, you're you're a performer with with radio. You you probably recognize what I'm saying. The feeling when when you know your audience is with you and responding is just this this incredible surge of of. Um, just, just feel good, and mm-hmm. I love it as a performer. And I think Jeremy's figured out that it's kind of neat, and so he looks forward to the opportunities to speak. Um, but he doesn't want it to take over his life. Uh, for me, devoting my time to advocacy work and public speaking has become a really big deal. I spend a lot of time visiting um, schools, and I used to. I will again once the uh, pandemic is is in our rearview mirror, but. I love going out and speaking with community groups and with student groups and and classes and sometimes uh, whole schools or social justice organizations. Um, Jeremy will kind of pick and choose, and he will do maybe about one out of four times that I get out there. He'll he'll join me, and he loves it when he does it, and he's good at it. But it's it's not his life. He's at thirty years old now. He's just wanting to. Um, do what he does with with his time, like uh, so many thirty year olds. Right, and I think you know I I so understand that in the sense of even the word transgender, right? It's almost transactional. You you have to explain that there was a it it, it explains in and of itself there was a past, and I I have to think that there is a, an urge to some days just get up and be in the present moment, be who you are at that moment, Jeremy, and just go forward. I, I, I can certainly understand the balance of, you know, wanting to just be um, and also then to, you know, bear a witness for other people. And as you say, that plasma that you get from connecting with others um, it's in short supply right now, right? But, um, you know, I think it's it's palpable even um, on radio. It's palpable, the connection. I think that that energy, um, it does propel us forward. Um, and I wondered, um, you know, it's, it's a very important moment now because we are, you know, sh- shut down. And, um, but, you know, it, this search, I think the intensity of the sh- search, it, it may be... Um, it, it may be that people are really asking themselves more and more, who do I want to be when this is all over and who am I really? Because who am I is, 
the big question. And we've kind of got to answer it for ourselves. Um, it's not like, you know, there's going to be a before and after. Or there is, because there will be science and there will be a vaccine. But we'll come out of this. I like to think that people are going to want to be truer to themselves. And a book like this, it couldn't be timelier um, in terms of those kinds of quests, because the inner deliberations are so transparent in Jeremy's voice and yours and John's, your husband's. I think the fact that you were so inclusive of your family in the writing, it, it also allowed for this experience to become bonding for you, right? I mean, as a family, how does it feel? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the whole process of generating the book was, was a family undertaking, and it generated conversations that may have taken years to have without the, the um, uh, push of getting the book done. Um, so that, that uh, conversation that you had uh, quoted from when the, uh, the brothers were out uh, shooting baskets in the driveway, and this was before Jeremy was being viewed as a brother and was being viewed as a sister. Um, that conversation in which his older brother and younger brother, to a lesser extent, were talking about this classmate and how difficult it was and kind of unfair, um, that, was, that was an incredibly difficult moment for Jeremy because even though his brothers didn't know they were talking about Jeremy, they, Jeremy felt like they were. And, mm-hmm. and a barrier went up. And that influenced their relationship for quite a while. And then when I wrote about it, based on the conversation after it that Jeremy and I had had and then re-interviewing him the years later, and I shared it with the, the uh, brothers, they said, wait, that's not what I meant. Wait, it wasn't, it wasn't like that and I would never want to hurt Jeremy. And we were able to, to work through what the different perceptions were of the exact same conversation. Right. And that's a tremendous opportunity to, to bond. Right. And I, it's, it's just been this, this incredible process as mm-hmm. a result. And I have to think that it's also uh, preparation for comments that, we're going to hear on the outside, right? That people are going to say these kinds of things, express these kinds of misunderstandings. Um, I wondered if you, and this is, I just, it almost pains me just to even say this. I wonder if you ever fear for Jeremy's safety. You know, I, I really don't in general. Um, the, there is terrible violence toward the transgender community where people have been murdered it has largely been transgender women of color. And that community has been um, preyed upon. Uh, it is senseless and it is ongoing. And it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. Yes. Jeremy is not a part of that. Now, when I did worry about him was when he first moved to uh, Dallas uh, he mm-hmm. moved to a part of town that is um, known uh, uh, throughout town, including by its habitants, as the neighborhood, because there's a very high percentage of um, LGBTQ population there, and it's a it's a, a magnet um, for the gay population with 
accepting um, restaurants and um, bars and uh, apartment complexes. Um, the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce has space in the building where Jeremy was renting uh, his apartment. So it's, it's a, a real wonderful community in Dallas. Someone a few years back started stalking individuals coming out of bars and beating them up. And, yeah. and there were a couple of deaths. I worried when Jeremy, Jeremy moved there, it wasn't because he's transgender, but because someone was preying on the overall gay community. Right. I think it looks like we need to take a commercial break again. I'm sorry to interrupt this conversation. I, um, I feel very strongly that, um, you know, you, you brought to light a lot of important statistics. The 40% statistic is the one we'll delve into when we come back, Joe. Um, and um, don't go away. We're dropping in with Joe Ivester, author together with her family of Once a Girl, Always a Boy. We'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to ddewey at truenordmedia.com. That's the letter D, dewey at trunordmedia.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Joe Ivester, who is a mother and an author of a memoir called Once a Girl, Always a Boy, about the transgender journey of her son, Jeremy. And we've just been talking about some of the horrific um, experiences of some on the um, gender questioning spectrum. Um, and specifically, I wanted to just touch on what you brought out in the book, Joe, that there is an abnormally high rate of self-harm that is 40% of trans- 
transgender transgender people um, have actually attempted suicide. Such a, fa- a fact that brings sadness. Um, to this point, is it mostly the rejection experience through family, friends, society in general, possibly employers, homelessness occurs? I mean, this whole spiral that occurs, do you think in some part it originates with the acceptance or rejection at the basic fundamental family level? So it's a that's a it's an excellent really complicated question. Um, so the statistic uh, based on uh, research and surveys that's done a few years ago is that um, over forty percent of transgender teenagers have uh, tried to take their lives, and the uh, it's just a it's a very difficult statistic to think about. One one aspect of it is that if you are transgender and your outward body does not match who you feel you are inside, you have what's called gender dysphoria. That's the medical term for it. And it is extremely difficult to deal with. And it can create anxiety and depression. It can lead to suicidal thoughts at the at the extreme. And it is something that that has to be addressed. Now, mm-hmm. um, for a, a child whose family is rejecting any possibility that they are transgender, the thoughts get the the difficulties of gender dysphoria can be exacerbated. And so, when parents are accepting, and a community is accepting, and a school is accepting, the percentages do drop significantly. That's not to say that that it doesn't happen regardless, because gender dysphoria is really hard to deal with. Um, but acceptance is the major way of, of improving those numbers. The um, 40%, interestingly, is also the, the number that's the percent of youth who are homeless because they are somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum and have been kicked out by their families. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah. I've met youth that have both tried to take their lives. I have met youth who have been thrown out by their families or their church and have lived on the streets or have couch surfed. And I want to just embrace them and tell them, well, here's a mom who cares. Mm-hmm. And it's um, one of the most moving moments that I've experienced is when I've had the opportunity to uh, meet with youth, whether it's in person or texting or by phone um, or email, that have expressed this rejection and that are just so eager to grab on to an adult who's being supportive. Right. You become almost like case, a uni- yeah, like a universal mom, kind of you know, really yeah. extending your in, arms. In one case, uh, an individual who just wanted someone, a mom type, as he put it to call him by his true name uh, on his right. birthday. Right. So I, I made note of it, and I sent him a text message on his birthday saying, happy birthday. And I, I'll never know whether that had a, whether he even really saw the note, um, but I had to do that. It's recognition. It's just recognition at a very fundamental level of our identity. I thought there were several very nuanced levels to it in terms of, um, 
Jeremy's gender dysphoria because he talked about, you know, he realized at a certain point, hey, it's not just that I want to look masculine, it's that I want to identify this way. It's going beyond. And then when he was going to come out as a trans, you know, that's another level. So there's all these plateaus and thresholds that a person is going through and Fortunately, Jeremy had, it sounded like excellent counseling, um, but the, the gender dysphoria can kind of swarm over your life because, um, well, Jeremy had this friend Colin, who I think was my hero, you know, in addition to your family. But, you know, Colin says, maybe it was just too hard to work at your classes when you had all this other stuff going on. Um, that's his yeah. quote in the book. And I, I think to myself, how understanding, how generous to offer that space to Jeremy, because it has to be incredibly disruptive to your thought process to have all of this unresolved miasma going on. Um, and I think appreciating gender dysphoria, that's a huge contribution right there. Um, and I think, you know, asking ourselves um, to allow people to have their own definition of what constitutes happiness. Um, it's really it's really at the heart of it. But um, I think that you know here's a huge contribution that you've made by by this by this book. Um, there's a certain passage that I, you know I ended up thinking about with um, with Jeremy and um, especially, it's in, it, it's really not. It's you know, it's really not literally about um, being trans. But you know, I hope you'll forgive me for that. But um, it's it's from the poet David White, who wrote a poem called Mamine, and it appears in his um, collection of poems, River Flow. And I'll, I'll just quote from it briefly: "Remember the way you are all possibilities." You can see and how you live best as an appreciator of horizons, whether you reach them or not. Admit that once you've gotten up from your chair and opened the door, once you have walked out into the clean air towards that edge and taken the path high up beyond the ordinary, you have become the privilege and the pilgrim, the one who will tell the story and the one coming back from the mountain who helped make it. And mm. I couldn't help but think about Jeremy um, having gotten up from that chair and really beginning the conversation um, that was hugely brave. But I also thought there was also that, that sense of, you know, performance anxiety, be an appreciator of horizons, whether you reach them or not, you know, so many concepts that we have had to get busted up for to allow for a true search, right? I mean, you had to yeah. become very open yourselves. Well, I, I love that passage. It's very meaningful, and I consider it an honor that, that the passage makes you think of uh, Jeremy and vice versa. <laughs> it's, it's something that I, I, think he, I think he is a pilgrim, and he can speak. Um, and I'm, I'm so delighted that it's something that gives him energy. Um, another thing, and this is on a much lighter note, but I just found it to be hysterical, is now, okay, we've got Jeremy, he's transitioned, he's um, now uh, male, and he finds out about male power and patriarchy, 
it isn't fair that suddenly I have all this power. It's just ingrained in our society. I ended up with something I never asked for, white male privilege. It's just hysterical. Yeah. And, you know, I see this now, and um, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. It's just blown by, but I see that we're really at the very end, and I hope that, you know, you've enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I have enjoyed this tremendously. You've asked wonderful questions, and I hope that your listeners have uh felt like they've gotten a chance to get to know Jeremy a little bit. You can find Joe Ivester on Facebook at Joe Ivester Author, Facebook for Jeremy Ivester, Twitter, Joe Ivester, and the website, joeivester.com. The book, Once a Girl, Always a Boy, out now from She Writes Press. Thanks so much for being with us on Dropping In. Stay well and hopeful, everyone. Thanks, Joe, and thanks for dropping in. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 